for me, it's all about focusing in on what the local area can give you. And then, you know, obviously looking further afield where you can't find what's available locally and taking a collaborative partnership type approach. Welcome to the Hospitality Maverick podcast with me, Michael Tingser. We at Hospitality Mavericks are here to inspire leaders to create heart-centered and profitable businesses from the inside out, the kind that both employees and customers love and support. This episode marks a great milestone for the show, as we start an amazing partnership with the wonderful people at BizSimply. Our aim together is to celebrate society's reopening and the comeback of our beloved hospitality industry, and we believe that we as an industry need to find new ways to become even more innovative from how we lead our people, how we operate and grow our businesses to how we serve our customers. And we want to share strategies and tools that can make the industry thrive long-term, not just survive. Today's guest shares a big passion of myself, how to save the planet and changing the way we eat. I'm 100% sure that this conversation will not only make you reflect but maybe change your thinking about food and how your true food choices can make a positive impact on people, communities, and the planet. Domini Hawk is the founder of Trider Supply, which is the purchasing solution for food service providers to drive efficiency and sustainability across the supply chain. Domini explains what agroecology is and why hospitality should get involved. Domini also talks about the importance of understanding where your food is from and why it's important that operators in hospitality work on having a clear understanding of their journey of the produce from farm to plate. We discuss if it makes business sense to become more sustainable when it comes to food and menus, and we dive into why buying locally is important beyond just the food miles. We also discuss the new savvy consumer post-COVID Will demand at US business and restaurant are offering menus that not only taste great, but also make a positive impact on the planet. We talk about some of the pioneers across the industry and what are they doing to become more sustainable and how they're making impact through operating with no bins in the kitchen to educating their customers. Domini shares her journey and lessons and gives some great advice on how leaders and individuals can make more impact through their food choices. And if you want more Maverick Insights, please sign up to our weekly newsletter on hospitalitymavericks.com. Now grab notebook, pen and coffee and learn more about how to make more impact through your food choices. Enjoy! Today we are blessed with a a very, very exciting guest because we're going to be talking about something uh, I can't even remind myself that we have been talking about this podcast. It's something I've been talking about. How do we actually make a a better world? How do we make a better impact besides making profit? How do we actually make sure we make positive impact on our people, the communities we're part of, and the planet? Um, And there's definitely planet relevant what we're going to talk about today because we're going to talk about the the thing we should know more about than we actually do because we probably know more about space travel than we know about the the ground underneath us the the soil we are we are living from we're feeding ourselves from and for that conversation i was super excited to have a uh, domini as a guest welcome to the podcast domini hi michael it's wonderful to be here 
we had a couple of conversation prior to this conversation and uh, I hadn't met you, but you reached out to me and I thought this is like absolutely super interesting. And you reached out to me on the back of the uh, hospitality and the infinite game that I did with David Tenery. And we talked about a lot of different things. Uh, I think it was the No Planet B conversation you touched on and said, it's super interesting when you talk about the connection between land and people. So for people that don't know who you are and what you do, uh, can you just give them a bit of an overview and, and, and your background and why you're so obsessed about the the land and where our food comes from? Sure. I think it really comes from a, just a, a passion for, for nature and, and being surrounded uh, by it. Um, and I, I've, I've had... Um, a mother who's always been into food and so um I've got a real interest in food and and farming growing up in a in a rural area uh, but uh, I've actually combined that with a career in software um and and also tea so selling uh, tea into hotels and restaurants really high end tea um that was where I started my career um and the two kind of came together and um what I'm really passionate about now is is what I've set up uh, with Trident Supplied, which is a uh, a food web, a collaborative and, and user friendly food web that is designed to help food service businesses become more sustainable and communicate this to customers. Um, we help them make better purchasing decisions and manage purchasing from multiple suppliers, communicate and and then communicate that to. Um, uh, customers in terms of both sustainability and nutritional information on the menu um it's what i'm what i'm really excited about is the power of uh software to connect people together and enable them to collaborate and how that can then uh feed into the changes that we can make for a more sustainable food system yeah and uh one of the things i noticed when i talked with you was that um you know, why should actually, you know, in, in the world we live in now and where hospitality is and it, it's difficult times, why is this actually interesting uh, for hospitality and, and the future we are heading towards? Why it's so important actually to start to understand what you actually, you know, the food you buy, what kind of impact it has on the planet and humans when they consume it? Yes, I, I think what I found really interesting was uh, attending the Oxford Real Farming Conference this this year. A big topic there was uh, agroecology, and it's the way they describe it is that it's how you mimic nature in farming, um, and it builds on indigenous practices that have you know ancient wisdom that we've had for years and generations, but we've kind of lost in in the latest um, generations uh, through industrial farming, um, and. So agroecology is is reintroducing that and building on it uh, to mimic the natural ecosystems uh, and also to um, see the food system as a connected whole. And I think what's so important is for us to understand that sustainability is a connected challenge. Um, and if we're not un- if we don't see the natural world as a connected ecosystem um, and and all of our systems within that, you know, how how does how does food get from from farm to plate? Um, is it's a whole connected system? Um, so, I think it's really important that um, we uh, everyone understands better um, the whole system. And so often, uh, people are thinking about what they eat, 
uh, when they live in an urban environment. And actually, many don't know that much about how the food is produced. Um, and so agroecology is 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 interesting. Um, and, and the reason I think that hospitality should be getting more involved is um, that it brings the it brings everyone closer to where ultimately where food is produced and gives a much better understanding of how it's produced so that we can much better make decisions around what we eat um, for the benefit of not only ourselves but also the planet. You would say, uh, say if you put your your business hat on in, in and especially in these time, is there any like you know uh, financial benefits for that? Because there's no doubt about understanding where our food comes from and how it impacts us, and you know how it impacts the planet that we actually we would grow food in the right way. Uh, it's a good thing. It's a nice thing. Maybe somebody say, but how do I survive? Is that does that actually give sense from a bottom line? Is that actually commercial viable to to start that journey? That's a very good question. I think. One thing that um, the, the kind of agroecological solution does is it provides greater resilience um, for for a business because um, it gets you thinking more about um, what exactly is the role in the food system that we have as a business, and and that actually is much more multifaceted than I think um, many uh, restaurants might might be thinking of. Um, so it's not just a question of serving food to people. Um, but actually, I see it much more broadly in terms of adding value to food. Um, and um, so if you start to see that as as the role um, of, of what you can do through the skill sets that um, you have within hospitality, um, then it enables you to create a much more resilient model, which I think is so applicable today um, with you know, trying to manage um, with so many different uh, restrictions. Um, so. Um, it's things like, um, you know, how how do you um, uh, get how you you could be not just cooking the food, but you could also be potentially processing food that you then sell um, as as a as a kind of deli item or a, or a grocery item. Um, it could be that um, you're looking at um, uh, how do you educate and provide fun experiences, educational experiences for um, local communities. So you've got a different um, element of that and that could be either virtual or, or um, within the, the, the premises once once that's allowed. Um, so there's an element of education, there's an element of um, how you're adding value to food, and but there's also um, kind of getting closer uh, to the farmers and the producers themselves um, opens up other opportunities. And not, not only does it shorten the supply chain, so from... Um, uh, from a value commercial perspective um more more money gets to the farmer um but also um there's still um ways in which it can um be lower um a lower cost to the to the restaurant as well um because um the 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 margins in the middle have been have been cut out um and because you have that closer relationship with the producers and suppliers and, and the farmers um, it becomes much more collaborative and that enables um, opportunities for higher margin products in terms of specials. Um, also understanding, for example, rotation crops um, are crops that are grown in order to kind of make another uh, crop work in a regenerative system. So if you're buying the crop that has you know, the whole reason why it's been grown, it's got the highest value for the, from the farmer's perspective. Um, finding uses uh, on your menu for the rotation crops is going to be a good way of getting uh, higher margin um, 
crops into into the menu. So working together with the chef and the and the farmer, I think there's there's a huge amount of opportunity in terms of um, commercial opportunity in terms of um, becoming more more resilient, but also reducing some of the, the the margins that are within the supply chain itself. And then the final thing is, of course, that um, particularly now with COVID and 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 Brexit, I think there's a lot of uh, interest and focus uh, from consumers on sustainability and sourcing locally. And so it's a it's a commercial driver in terms of bringing customers into your restaurant as well. Yeah, what I think is interesting in this conversation and something I started looking into the last couple of years as well is exactly is the way it's because we 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 buy food in a certain way the behavior around and the the standard we set to the food the farmer is then producing the food that way but that doesn't mean that's the way he want to do it because he knows that if he's mistreating his land the way with the how he uses he how he he's farming has no rotation he's just doing one crop he actually knows that it's going to be a food desert at some point it's just about a question about if it's going to be him while he's managing that land or it's going to be the next one everyone knows and you already seen that in the US uh, where that has been that's a big issue they call it a food deserts over there where there's like no food because they did the land is just destroyed but it can be brought back to life if you start rotating and, and actually work with nature instead of against it yes totally and actually that's one of the things that um with tried and supplied we are encouraging is uh to if if there are farmers for example that really want to make a change but it's you know it's a big investment for farmers to and it's a long-term investment as well to to start growing something different and also, therefore, to stop doing what they were bef- they were doing before, and in order to do that, um, it's really helpful for them if they know that they have a a local market who would be able to do something with whatever that new crop is that is beneficial for their land. So it's about kind of connecting those two together, really. Yeah, and I, I don't know if you've seen. I can't. Be, I can't remember. We actually talked about this prior to this interview, but I watched. Uh, I think it was back in September, October. I watched Kiss the Ground on Netflix uh, with Woody Harrelson. Is a nature in a narrative on that, and he talks about. Um, you know, they talk about you know that you know in the U.S. there's actually a movement to actually you know go back and actually work with your land as you did pre. Uh, second world war where after second world war the whole world became very industrialized around the food supply and they have successful turned around farms that was losing money to actually making money that way it may be a bit harder in the beginning but then that becomes into a system and nature almost take care of things itself and those farmers now they're their, their, their business is valued much higher than it was pre that because they are suddenly a bit like in a restaurant pre-pandemic if you only had one revenue stream that was uh, people came in and sat and eat in your restaurant now you have takeaway you have click and collect you have home meals and the similar way the farmer then get a more diversified business model but also more more healthy land to grow his crops on yes i think also he's not kind of grinding his his assets into the ground because soil is is a major asset for farmers and it there are so many things that affect it but nearly all of the things that are done through industrial agriculture in terms of monocropping um and um and plowing and uh and also the use of chemicals are affecting the the soil quality and the main asset that they're they're working from um so it, in terms of the value of their business if they're basically destroying their own asset um it's it's not going to last very long and, and doesn't look like a, a a good 
a good investment. Um, but um, I think now many of the the farms that have started to regenerate their soils um, have have found that um, uh, through careful management, um, it 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 does build up um, the soil quality over a few years, and and that makes a huge difference. And then they don't have to worry about all of the expenses of the chemicals that they would otherwise have put in the soil. There's a reduction in cost there as well. That's super interesting. They say that in the in the documentary as well. There's some like operational cost that just disappears, as one of them is for the chemicals and machinery as well. They don't have to maintain. That's actually just eating the the bottom line for 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 their business. What about like you know you touched a bit on menus before because eating local and seasonal. You've seen you know high end restaurants promoting that. You have the, the Denmark where I come from. Nomer is very known for that. There's others as well. Uh, you have a silo in London that moved from Brighton to London, where it's all about eating seasonal and also have no waste. Uh, is this uh, these kind of menus? Are you predicting that's you know and a, a kind of version of that is what you will see across hospitality going forward, or is that you dream to see that more hospitality restaurant businesses will adapt that kind of approach to their menu, where it's seasonal and and focusing on uh, no waste and actually thereby the menu probably going to be smaller, not the, the typical Chinese menu kind of uh, setup. Yes, it certainly w- would be my dream to see that happen across hospitality. I think there are lots of different approaches to creating a sustainable menu. And I'm not sure it's going to happen overnight. Uh, in fact, I'm sure it won't because there's lots of changes and I think it's very important that businesses go step by step um you can't you know suddenly become the most sustainable restaurant overnight um albeit I know that Douglas McMaster really did do that in terms of actually starting out with a without a bin uh which I think is very impressive but probably uh beyond where most people would uh would would want to start I also think that we don't know yet what's going to happen in terms of workplaces and whether people are going to go back to work in the same way and I think that will reduce the demand um, for kind of fast food um, on the go kinds of options and I think it will um, mean that people are much more interested in local residential places where they can uh, go for a really nice meal out and experience um, where they can learn a lot more about the food system you know um, I was on a, um, a a webinar recently, um, and it was with uh, Douglas McMaster and, and Charles Michelle and Johnny Drain, and they were talking about how na- uh, food is our main connection with nature. Um, and I think that people this year have really felt like they they wanted to connect more with nature, and so I I feel like that's that's a, an experience that restaurants can really offer people once they start to, to reopen. It's interesting that the ones you see, um, an example, E5 Bakehouse in East London is like the one that comes to my mind that is very connected about where the, the, the flower comes from. They actually, they, 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 where they get the seeds from in principle and they, they follow that. But also they have like such a connection with their supplier that they can tell that story in a very different way. So you actually buy into them in a different way because you know they have done that and they're not available for everyone. I know there's some elitist here, but again, the more we can start 
to take that kind of behavior down through the food system and actually connect uh, people much more with the land where it comes from. Because I have had chefs employed sometimes that have never been on a farm, which have like surprised me, um, especially when I did a, a business in Denmark where they've never been on a farm. So actually what we tried to do then, there was a, real, a realism in that, okay, if they don't know in principle where tomatoes and comes from, we need to take them there. So they understand that connection in a way uh, and we didn't have any higher purpose with it that we thought it was important that you know where food comes from and how it's grown and how long it actually takes to create a tomato it's not just something that comes on the truck and then it's just available so it's interesting that actually a lot of people even when they work in food have never actually been out there and actually been on a farm and understand or with the fishermen on on the harbor to understand where things come from yes uh, we, we were actually working just before the first lockdown uh, with a cafe that um, was opening for w- with a digital menu. Um, sorry, not digital menu, digital receipts. And so the, the, what we were working on was making sure that they had a set of suppliers that were um, everything came from a single origin so that it was really clear to be able to communicate that story on their digital receipts. So everything that they sold in the cafe would come with a receipt that would tell the story of all the ingredients within it. And uh, when you work with um, uh, a cafe like that, a client like that, what a typical thing they approach you with as well. Where, where does they start? Because there's probably people thinking out there, oh yeah, I know this is important. When, when it's raised, you know this is important. I need to do something. I need to be part of educating people. I need to get started. How and often is the path and it sounds expensive. That's probably people who would say that's where. But how is the typical you know, starting of that interaction when people approach you and say, we, we need to help. We want to do the right thing and we need to we need to start this journey. What is typical the, the situation? Yes, I think it, it you know, all different types of situations we, we, we see. And um, the main thing for us is that it, it's not, as I said before, it's not going to happen overnight. So um, we see our role as very much supporting restaurants in whatever, um, you know, wherever they're coming from, wherever they're starting from um, and and helping them to develop that in, in a step-by-step um, way so um, sometimes you know if it's a new opening for example it's is a bit easier because it you know it's a clean slate if you like um, and so you can you can start with um, the actual sourcing of all of the suppliers um, and and getting them uh, set up um, to, to, to be um, managed all within the same system um, but um, if it's uh, if it's a, a kind of already um, set up and running, um, there are often established uh, relationships with suppliers, and that's also fine. And many of them will be actually very very good suppliers. Um, so um, we we work with restaurants to get them set up um, with um, whichever suppliers they want to work with, whether they're already existing within our um, ecosystem or or, or not. Um, it's very easy to to add them in, and then we've been working with the Sustainable Restaurant Association on what it is that they would like to see uh, for customers on menus around sustainability, as well as also um, uh, with Cafoodle uh, on on nutritional on the nutritional aspect of things. So we are able to get all of that information from the suppliers. So if you've already got suppliers you're working with, we can provide them with all the all the relevant questions um, and, and information um, that they can then provide, um, which then lives within the same system and is easy for um, restaurants to access and, and use it to tell that story on the, on, on the menu. 
Again, that's where, again, when you come to how technology actually can help you doing the heavy lifting, uh, not only from an operational point of view here, but also from a, I guess, also of transparency, but also from an impact point of view. You can really start actually going down the journey, finding out how do you actually impact things, because we can all do small things around, because food is the biggest, its biggest impact on uh, climate change, as we talk about in No Planet B in that episode of Hospitality and Infinity Game. You know, food is the, one of the biggest impact and something we do three times a day as humans. And chefs uh, or restaurant owners, they have food in their hands all the time. So that's, you can really make a big impact, even with small changes. And uh, and it's great to hear that uh, your system also helps the documenting that, because it's also sometimes, how do I actually document this? How do I actually tell the world about this? Yes, I think I think that's um, one of the things I was talking to uh, David Chinery about, and in, in terms of how they um, are creating a restaurant that gives more than it takes, is is how do you actually demonstrate that? How do you prove that? And he was talking about different, you know, ways of doing that. You know, one was uh, around qualitative. Um, you know, there are various schemes that um, that kind of like certifications that ask questions and then um, calculate it and and provide you with a a kind of a certificate or rating on various different aspects of it, um, you know, like a, a soil association organic, for example. And then there's the quantitative side in terms of, you know, calculating carbon footprint and um, and reaching net zero and things like that. But um, there's also the, the narrative element. And, and often for small businesses, that's the one that is most manageable. Uh, and it also sticks with customers much better. It may not be as rigorous in terms of um, all of the analysis that goes into the qualitative and the quantitative side of things, but it is very effective in terms of communicating what you're doing um, uh, with uh, in terms of sustainability to customers. And, you know, whether that's in terms of, you know, telling them that the menu is made from recycled paper, um, or it could be explaining that um, the, um, uh, the food on the menu comes from within a 20 mile radius um you know it's it's in it's involving them in that narrative and and that's generally what sticks with customers and and gives them that connection with nature that that i think everyone is so thirsty for um today i think also it's the it's the, again ability to you know is storytelling you're in principle talking about here but also the ability to back those stories up when you need to because there's always you know different people want different layers of uh, the story sometimes and that thing you can start actually documenting and backing it up because i think still i don't know what your experience is but i think there's still a bit of a a view on that all this saving the planet uh, is can that actually be done through food uh, it can not only be done through food, but actually can take a very large chunk of it. But there's still this skepticism sometimes you are hit with, and especially if you're raising money for for your restaurant venture as well, uh, that will there is a, there is some skepticism that it does actually make sense to do things sustainable. Uh, and of course, you make have to make your choices sometimes financially as well. What are you doing sustainable? The way that I see it is, you know, it's all about transparency and and actually having shorter supply chains is very helpful in that respect um it enables you to tell the story much more clearly and sustainability is uh it's a sliding scale you know that the, the you can always do more um and um it, but if you if you get put off doing anything at all because you know that the end goal seems so lofty um then we'll never get anywhere at all um so for me it's all about um 
understanding that you know there's lots of different steps to um becoming sustainable and 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 making that that effort you know step by step to to trying to achieve it but being completely transparent with your customers about what that means and um and why you've made those decisions yeah and also it's a journey um i talk with that with people as well but so many other things is that it's not about being perfect it's also like taking the the journey and making the progress and actually telling about why you're doing what you're doing and say well we are not here everything is not organic yet Maybe that's not even the ambition because maybe that's not sustainable because maybe we, I, I guess uh, as it is right now, there's not enough production actually to cover that. So that's, that's not what it's about. Exactly. Maybe just starting, maybe thinking seasonal about things will have a massive impact on how we, we, we take things from our land and what we do to our land and what we put put in our tummies as well. I don't know what your view is on that. Yeah, I, I think seasonality would have a, a huge impact. Um, you know, there's a lot of um, talk about changing our diets to um, fit uh, what the what the world needs. But actually, I think it would be so much better if we approached it in a more local way and tried to understand what our local area needs um, and, and produces well and would, you know, would want from a regenerative perspective, what 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 should we be um, producing for the health of our soils and our local um, local ecosystem, but also, our, you know, us as people um, to make sure we have a diverse diet um, and connecting those two together more rather than trying to think of it on a on a global scale. Obviously, there are going to be things that we have to get from um, uh, from abroad that we can't grow, but trying to orientate your diet around understanding what's available locally and when um, makes makes a huge difference to the overall sustainability of what you're eating. Yeah, one of the things I discovered uh, as part of another business I'm involved in is that like grains and pulses, I thought that was something you got from, you know, abroad, you know, that's where you normally get your lentils and stuff like that. And then I discovered a company called Hot Medots. And Hotmedos, they only sell, you know, locally grown grain pulses. Uh, there is actually a British chickpea, believe it or not, uh, a kind of form of it that is actually grown in Norfolk, I think it is. And again, they are right now, of course, a little more, a bit more expensive because it's not done on the same scale. But if you could start people to get used to that, actually, and understand actually you can get all these things, they may be just in another variant, they maybe have another color but they do the same thing. And then maybe there's much more nourishment in that local product than there is something you get brought in. Because it does, as soon as you, you pick a fruit or take something out of the ground, it start to lose its nourishment and vitamins from, from that second on. It's already dropping things. So the shorter it is to the plate, the better. Is it for you as well as an individual? Um, and I think I think another interesting element in the just spark my, my head there again, you said that, uh, it, it's it, uh, trying to dictate how people should eat. That's 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 uh, equals failure in my world. How to help them hack? You know, maybe they, everybody wants to eat healthier. They want to eat more greens. But how do you help them doing that? How do you actually help them uh, get the right things on the plate? And how do you educate them in that? Because it's not because people don't want to. They just don't know how sometimes. And then convenience take over instead. Yes, uh, in the words of um, Johnny, uh, Doctor Johnny Drain, on the webinar, we need to show people the tasty. Um, and I yeah. think that's that's so true. You've got to motivate people um, through the taste of and, and showing people how beans and pulses, for example, can taste wonderful rather than what they might think of from their school dinners. Another person I wanted to bring up is um, uh, Ollie Hunter, who um, is very good at um, 
utilizing um he he has a lot of organic produce which you might think is more expensive but um his view is that actually um it it enables him to save money because he can get you know the whole carrot including the carrot tops for example and then use both and it creates two different dishes um the carrots themselves have more um flavor so he needs fewer of them to create a wonderful sauce you have to think of it in its totality um to to see to see how you can you can move forward with it so how how do you see that uh, what do you think because this all sounds like the thing we need to do but what do you think the the real threats are to 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 get to that point because one of the things you said in the beginning as well that you know one of our biggest challenges is that actually we are we are playing with nature we may be breaking nature and the pandemic is maybe one of those signs i believe it's one of those signs that nature have said hey enough now now i'm going to give you a bit of a lesson dear sapiens uh, you need to behave um what what is your view what is like the biggest you know threat we have to a, a future where we you know can change the way we consume and buy foods and also the way we then eat food in restaurants and so on from from directly from the farmer and more locally what is the big threat to this personally i think um a lot of it is to do with capital and where it's focused and um and also where how that influences what we read um in a in a really subtle way um there was a, a very interesting talk which is now on the Oxford Real Farming Conference YouTube um called spinning pr and it's all about how much of the food system is controlled by a very uh, small number of companies and how they are influencing what we understand about food and also investing in new uh, food alternatives and how they're utilizing you know scientists to get that message across um and also trade organizations that they kind of sit behind um and are kind of silent, silently funding um so the difficulty with uh, agroecology as as a as a concept and how we can create the, a sustainable food system is that um it requires a move away from um the kind of concentration of power within the food system um and that's obviously going to have um a lot of resistance yeah and, and and it's so interesting i think that's for many areas in society where power is just collected on a very few hands um you can take that from how organizations run as well that the decision power is lies in the top and the knowledge they they, they think their knowledge lies in the top but actually if you put the, the decision power out into the the front line and out in the real world instead of a few hands it will actually make it better for everyone because yeah people feel more engaged with that uh, i think that's a very interesting uh, thing i think again yeah that, that there's definitely some some big big players that that the needs to to change as well their minds and behaviors around the the food system it's quite interesting you mentioned um within that you mentioned that alternative foods um uh because that's that's an interesting because i i i'm a bit skeptical about you know, food that is created without any food in it. It's almost like this created this kind of, you know, especially there's a lot of vegan products. I don't mind people are vegan or anything. There's a lot of vegan products. I've become a bit skeptical about what they put in them to make them almost like a cheese uh, because it's not a cheese. Um, and I understand if you don't want to eat cheese, you don't have to and you don't want to. But what is it that they're putting in those products? Are they good for, you know, our bodies or the, the nature i don't know but what what is your view on that as well because that comes again from a 
very focusing on uh, creating a consumer product more than what's good for nature, I guess. Yes, I very much share your skepticism um, about food that isn't food. Um, I, I, I think it you know, very much depends on the um, producer and, and their approach to creating uh, what they're creating, what the product is. But I'm pretty skeptical because I also see that there's a huge amount of investment going into alternative proteins, for example. Often that's another kind of way of, you know, that's where you make the bigger margins um, in the food system. Um, but it's also where you end up with those companies that they've been what has driven us into this problem in the first place. Um, for me, nature really uh, is as you say you know it's just I feel like it's trying to teach us a, a lesson and if we are trying to tackle the mess that we've put, made ourselves uh put ourselves in with um further industrial processes it rather than trying to go back to understanding how nature really works and working with it rather than against it um th- that's that's um that's my worry yeah, and I guess also what 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 what, what uh, I can hear you saying, and one of the things I believe as well that we 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 need to to get to a point where we are not how we eat is not dictated from factory farm food or factory produced food, is dictated by doing the the right thing with the land. What's good for the land is good for the, the, the people as well, and make that sustainable because that model has been sustainable before. Why is it that it can't suddenly after the Second World War? Why is it that not sustainable anymore? Um, and that's the question, you know, that, that uh, I think that needs to be answered because it, there is, you know, examples of it actually can work. It can work for the farmer. It can work for the price the consumer has to pay because it doesn't have to be elitist or, or planet organic or whole food prices to get some proper food. I think you gave the example with the chef as well. You need less of it because there's much more umami flavor in it as well from a taste point of view. And you get all your nutrients in few of them as well. And I think also that that's that's what we've forgotten. Maybe we also just, you know, it's the the amount we consume that the, these factories have learned us that we actually need more than we actually need. I think in Planet B they say that we need, can't remember now on top of it, but I think we need uh, two thousand calories a day, and there's produced five thousand a day per human being on the planet. But we still have people that goes hungry to bed, which sounds absolutely crazy. But with that said. There's no doubt about we both are very passionate about this and believe we need to do something. And and it's not as simple as um, as it sounds. We know, understand it's complex. Uh, and you said that as well. This is a this is a journey uh, probably of a thousand miles or more. Uh, but what 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 it's there's no doubt you're very passionate about this to me. What actually you would you have wished, you know, with what you're doing today and when you started out your career, what what would you wish you have known then? Because I guess you landed with this at some point, but what would you really have liked to know from that starting point when you started your career? I just, I had no idea how complex it was. I guess that was probably a good thing because it meant that I had the naivety to get started with it. Um, but um, it would have been helpful to know a little bit more about, you know, how complex this whole situation is. Having said that, I have found it fascinating learning about it. Um, and I do like complexity. Um, so that's actually one of the things that I uh, you know really enjoy doing from a software perspective is to um make simplicity out of complex um situations 
who has actually like inspired you? Because you know,、um, I know that some couple of people have put things in front of me that made me look into this and become interesting in soil health, for example, and, and how you how you feed yourself and how you 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 buy food. But what, what who has actually inspired you on this journey? Has it been any specific people? You mentioned your mom early in the in the conversation. Yes, I mean she's obviously given me a passion for for food. Um, and her, both my parents have been very supportive, and, and, and from an entrepreneurial perspective,、uh, I mentioned Ollie Hunter before. In terms of kind of people within the industry, who have really inspired me.、Uh, he's someone,、um, and、uh, we had a conversation quite early on、uh, about w- where he was comparing Trident Supplied to Mycelium, which is if you haven't、um, read it, there's a wonderful book about、um, called Entangled Lives. Or entangled life、um, by、um, Merlin Sheldrake,、um, and it's all about、um, fungi and and how it's connected、um, uh, and helps connect plants under the、uh, ground,、um, which is essentially、um, it is designed to kind of share nutrients and、um, and communicate、um, any issues or problems, and and that's ultimately what our aim is as as Trident Supplied in in creating that food web.、Um, so I I loved his、uh, analogy. Of it being like、uh, mycelium, and I've now read the book, and and that's that's a that's a wonderful book. I think there are two other people、uh, from within the industry that I um I I really、uh, find inspiring. One of them is、uh, Chantelle Nicholson. I think she really has done a fantastic job in from a sustainability perspective, and and um uh and has shown you know huge amount of dedication you know it's very similar to um Douglas McMaster and and dedication to to making it making it really work、uh, and and work sustainably um but I loved what she did um by setting up um All's Well to motivate her staff um at, uh, during the pandemic and um I I I just yeah real really hats off to her for for um you know. Finding it within her to to set that up and and get it going,、um, in such difficult circumstances and and I think the the final person I'd like to mention is、uh, Andrew Lussman who is also very very dedicated to the sustainability side of things but is also brilliant at making business decisions.、Um, I I really admire the way that he approaches that、uh, in a very kind of methodical、um, and and data. Data-driven way,、um, and、um, yeah, so I think that, you know the industry is full of really inspiring people,、um, and are constantly meeting more of them. But th- those are a few of, of the ones that have, have really inspired me. So you you've gone on the journey, and you said like, if I knew that it was so complex, I probably wouldn't have started. And then, like many entrepreneurs, you know, there's there's always people want to hear the success story. But what what is the 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 biggest failure where you really have learned something because I think that's really interesting for the audience from an entrepreneurial point of view where you said okay that 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 failure really hurt but I、uh, I really learned something from that. I think it kind of comes back to the same thing of not really you know I I wish I'd learned more about、uh, the marketplace and、um, I think as an entrepreneur you are so、uh, passionate about what you're doing. It's hard to imagine how other people may not be quite as passionate as you,、um, and I think learning how to kind of really see things from other people's perspective and and kind of toning down that to kind of see you know well what would it look like from where they are、um, and、um, 
I think that would have really helped helped me earlier on if I if I'd uh, understood that you know and now now I always you know try and think about it from other people's perspective um and and just ask myself you know well what would be the worst case scenario um you know because I'm I'm a, a constant optimist um and uh, and and hugely passionate about what I'm doing so I need to be constantly reminding myself to think about it you know from the opposite end of the scale yeah i've 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 had conversations with with customers where i think not understanding that has um led to probably some of the biggest failures i think that's probably what i would say yeah it's a very good question so what what is the downside uh and i know there's a you know another big entrepreneur called richard branson that's what he's asking himself all the time because uh because he's get he I could imagine I have never met him, but as a game changer, I could imagine he get very passionate about what he wants to do, and forgets maybe the blind side or the downside of our project. You know, what is the downside and what is take up rate on this? You know, besides, I think it's a great idea. I think that's a really really good reflection there to share with the the people out there. Um, again, we are in a in a in a precarious situation if we say it mild with hospitality right now, and that's some of your clients. What 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 is your prediction for hospitality as it is right now? From what you've seen, you know, we all observe different things. Uh, what do you think the key obstacles right now for is for people to to come back in a way? And where do you see land? It's it's always a difficult question because it's like looking in a crystal ball, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I think agility has got to be one of the biggest obstacles because you don't know what's going to be thrown uh, our direction, um, and um, I think that's where. I I feel like kind of reimagining business as what are those core skill sets that you have within your business and seeing your business as a kind of um, combination of those skill sets rather than, you know, we are a restaurant or we are a software business and thinking about, um, well, what can we actually do um, and, and, and how can we um, add value? And um, I feel like the skills that, chefs have for example are so versatile in what they can do um in terms of you know cooking processing food um actually selling and educating um uh, their customers um you know it doesn't have to be just you know cooking and serving a meal and i feel like that um agility uh is is going to be you know if you don't have the agility i see that as being a major obstacle um for the next uh at least few months and creativity around cash flow as well um i think that's that's obviously going to be a challenge um but what i would like to say is that um being i guess the the eternal optimist that i am uh, i i really do see that you know once once hospitality is allowed to reopen and i'm sure that um it will be at some point um hopefully this year there will be a really big boom and a real a much greater appreciation for the industry i think so many people um have really missed it and um there's nothing like absence um to make the heart grow fonder um so i i think there's going to be a big boom once it's once it re- restarts um and i think there's going to be a huge interest uh, particularly in sustainable and healthy food um, and the experience side of it, you know, I think people are going to be eager to learn about um, the food, but in a fun way. Um, and um, I think that gives lots of opportunities um, for restaurateurs that are 
willing to be creative and agile. I agree with you. There's so much clocked up demand. Um, we all we all hunger for coming out, being humans again, and interacting with humans over that plate of food. And I, I agree with you as well on the chef bit. I believe a, a chef, the chefs have the ability to touch people much more than they think. They almost, in my world, has more power than a priest had in the old days because everybody can get around a plate of food, no matter where you're from, background, uh, wealth, anything. We can always meet over a meal, but it's, it's, we can't always meet over religion. Um, so I think it's, it's a very powerful position to have if you use it in the right way. So I think, think that was really well said. What about yourself, uh, Domini, uh, in these time as an entrepreneur? It's tough no matter what you do, especially if you touch the food industry in any kind of way. You're, uh, it's, it's also tough. How do you actually keep yourself going and showing up? Because you are super optimistic every time I talk with you. It's like you have this uh, force of nature to just like a, a, a stealth steel shield in front of you. What do you do? Because I know, you know everybody's human in the end of the day, but what is it that you do to actually keep yourself going and finding ways as well as you go through the, the pandemic yourself? It's really important to have time for yourself. And, you know, work is not everything. And um, much as, you know, I am passionate about what I do and um, I do work hard, um, I don't think you can come at your work with the same degree of energy and enthusiasm if you haven't also given yourself enough sleep um and also uh enough time to have fun and that might be um you know when we're allowed to you know go and have uh, a drink or a meal with with friends and uh in a restaurant um but i also have things that i do um at home um so um i i play the harp um and for me that's very much my kind of relaxation time um and I'll, I'll always try to kind of break uh from from work um uh, to kind of switch into more like evening mode and 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 I'll probably play my harp during that period um and I think um getting out and about um you know really uh being actively actively observant when you get out and about and you know just admiring um you know the shape of the leaves on the trees or um the 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 kind of form of the clouds and um the more that you engage actively um with what you see outside yourself um the i find kind of the more energy you get um and so you know i'll try and get out do some exercise um in the park for example and and kind of be very observant um while i'm doing that um and i think the other thing that um really helps me is is that i i read um, and I read um, lots of non non fiction books. Actually, um, I, I love fiction too. But I find I get so into it, I can't stop. I can't put the book down. So then I never get any work done. Um, but but non fiction, um, I'm a, I allow myself to read while I'm working and not just on holiday. And um, uh, I find that that's just incredible. The amount of um, the amount you can learn from reading, and it just is is really inspiring. Um, just connecting with other people, meeting new people, sharing ideas. Um, and whether that comes through, you know, an event or whether it comes through regular reading, um, I, I just think, yeah, that makes that makes all the difference to me. So a combination of those factors is is really what makes a difference for me. As a super interesting, you said sleep as the first thing. I think that's totally undervalued. I talked about it before, both on the podcast and other things, uh, how you show up stronger as a leader, because... 
Uh, funny enough, when I've worked with some CEOs and founders, specifically uh, founder-driven businesses, uh, one of the first thing that the, the problems in their organization comes from them and they are not in tune with themselves, self-leadership. And actually where it starts great self-leadership is sleep because you need to plant the right seed. You need to have the right nutrition in the ground. So say, you know, you need to do the right thing first. And if you don't get sleep, and I know that for having two young children, uh, it's very difficult, but I'm very focused on that. That's that's the one thing I need to get right around my, my self-management is my sleep. If I get that reasonably right, the other things becomes easier. Then I eat well, and then I exercise. Then, then, then I feel in control. So it's interesting you, you started with that. So I totally agree with that. Super advice there again. Um, to end off the conversation, I always ask what are the top three advice to to leaders out there, CEOs, to accelerate their their businesses. But I think we'll take a bit of a different angle here. How can they actually accelerate making impact through food out in their businesses? What is your top three advice? Where should they start if they haven't started or they've begun the journey? But what we always say, these are the three things you you start considering doing. Well, I think I would start by looking at what's in the local area, um, speaking to suppliers, farmers, and really seeing that as a partnership, you know, a collaborative partnership. Ultimately, they have a business that they can develop much as um, you have a business that you can develop. Um, and um, if they have a partner who is willing to work with them, you know, they might be able to develop uh, new new products, um, you know, pa- process things in different ways. Um, uh, and, and I think, you know, having those close connections with the, within the local area enables you to do things a bit differently, which uh, then actually attracts um, customers as well makes you stand out um, and you then have a complete transparency over you know the way that things are grown and you can um, you can start to uh, encourage uh, more sustainable practice um, by showing interest with your partners and your suppliers um, so for me it's all about focusing in on what the local area can give you and then you know obviously looking further afield where you can't find what's available locally and taking a collaborative partnership type approach as people go out on this journey and think okay i'm gonna i'm gonna pick that up because i i i know this is the right thing to do where where can they find you because i guess just looking at your website, maybe getting in touch with you, there's like a lot of information you might can help people put them in the right direction. So, so where, if I'm interested, where do I connect and find you? Um, well, obviously, the, the, the best place to find me is uh, on email. Um, it's just domini at tridentsupply.com. Uh, but obviously, uh, you can find me on Twitter. I'm domini uh, at domini hog. Um, uh, and um, the, the website um, also has a, a way of contacting us as well um and um we we run this blog um saucy dressings um which is uh which is great fun and that's um on instagram at, at saucy dressings great 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 i mean thank you so much for coming on the the show and talk about something we haven't talked about before but it's so important to talk about uh, as we go forward like uh the connection between you know food land and uh, us as consumers uh it's definitely again i've learned new stuff again so that that's been great and i'm sure out there we have planted some seeds about maybe rethinking the way we approach food as an industry as we are 
reinventing or bringing the industry back from from the pandemic. So thank you so much for coming on. You're welcome, Michael. It was a pleasure. Thank you so much, Domini, for giving a great overview on the complex subject of sustainability and how we as individuals and businesses can make more impact through our food choices. And if you want to get more information and insights on a sustainable food system, please also tune in to our episode 50, Time for a System Change, with Zoe Henderson, who is the founder of Function. And if you enjoyed today's conversation, please share it, rate it, review, or subscribe to one of our channels. A big thank you to Biz Simply for supporting us, bringing you great insights, strategies, and tools to help the industry thrive, not just survive. And also check Biz Simply out on their website, bizsimply.com, and on their social, at bizsimply, or bizsimplyhq, or just email them directly on advice at bizsimply.com. Tune in next time for another interview and in the meantime find out more about us and subscribe to our community and download free leadership tools at hospitalitymavericks.com and don't worry if you didn't get all of this there will be links in the show notes thanks for listening and be maverick